Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Yes, I'm very ready. I'm very excited. Let's go! Alright, let's give it a whirl! All right. And I just want to say hello, everybody. Thank you so much for being here this week. We're very excited that you're here and so happy that you like the show and listen. Yes, uh, we are uh, very happy uh, to all of those uh, who are listening to this show all over this great country of ours and all over this wonderful world. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, for those of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, welcome. Uh, We've got uh, quite the little party going on over here. Uh, So uh, the way that the show works is that in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, She will then input that data into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart uh, for this uh, random historical figure. Now, I, of course, know who this uh, person is because I selected him, um, and you, the listening audience, should know because it is in the title of today's episode. Uh, But, Mom, do you have any idea who we'll be talking about today? Absolutely not. I never know ever what's happening. I just walk through the dark with my hands out in front of me and hope I don't fall down. And that's what makes such a compelling podcast episode. Uh, So I will give her that data, and then uh, out will come the astrological birth chart, and she will do uh, her very best uh, to uh, read the chart to the best of her abilities, uh, to ascertain uh, the different personality traits, uh, fortunes, and motives of this mystery history guest. Uh, I will then uh, reveal to her who our uh, mystery history guest is, and give a little background about the person, then we'll come together at the end and figure out uh, how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, And without further ado, let us begin. Okay. Uh, So this is a male. All right. uh, Born on the 12th 
All right. Of what we now know of as July. Ooh, okay. Uh, in the year 100 B.C. Oh my goodness, how do I even do this? Like that? We'll see. <laughs> uh, we don't have a time we for this not. person. <laughs> okay, so we're just Sundials weren't that accurate. <clears throat> That's so funny. Okay, so we're going to do noon then? Uh-huh. Okay, and where? Uh, Italy. Italy. Wow, okay. Okay, uh, do we know where in Italy? Rome. Rome. Roma. Okay, so uh, we have uh, just been on an incredible journey uh, trying to get uh, the Bat computer to accept uh, this uh, rather uh, early date. Um, but we now have exactly the chart. Uh, so this is a male born on the 12th of July, 100 BC uh, or BCE, depending on uh, how you want to quantify that, uh, born in Rome. Italy. And uh, so we've entered that all in, and we now have the chart in front of us. Yes, we had quite the learning curve with that, but now we know how to do it, I think. Um, okay, so I am going to read off uh, the planets. This is going to be more about the planets than it is the Ascendant, because we don't know what time this person was born. And currently we have it set at uh, 13 degrees Libra is the rising sign and the first house cusp. And so um, we'll go with uh, this person has sun at 16 degrees Cancer, moon at 16 degrees Libra, Mercury at 12 degrees Cancer, Venus at 5 degrees Leo, Mars at 3 degrees Cancer, Jupiter at 23 degrees Taurus, Saturn at 19 degrees Capricorn, Uranus at 27 degrees Capricorn, Neptune at 11 degrees Aries, Pluto at 1 degree Taurus, and their north node is at 3 degrees Taurus, and uh, no one knew about Chiron back then, so it's not available in this chart. They didn't know what so, Pluto was either. Well, that's true, but for some reason they've added it in. They've backlogged Pluto, but they haven't backlogged Chiron. Oh, oh I guess so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Okay, uh, I want to start with this person's North Node uh, because I, I don't know for sure what their rising sign is, but their North Node at three degrees Taurus conjunct their Pluto at one degrees Taurus. Uh, I would say because these are conjunct by degree within five degrees of each other this person's north node is somehow uh connected to power a powerful taurus aspect and taurus would be in earthy things uh i don't know how many material things there were 
in 100 BC, but maybe, I guess, there could have been a lot of material things, I suppose. Ancient Egypt, um, all the different places had a lot of gold and and uh, jewelry and things like this. So this person would have been... I'm going to say this person would have been very powerful and possibly very rich. And uh, they have Jupiter also in Taurus, but it's at 23 degrees. It's not conjunct by degree. But with that Jupiter and North Node and Pluto all in Taurus, I am going to assume that this person was very well to do. Um, they have Moon in Libra, which is interesting because that Moon in Libra would make them, well, the dark side could make them very vain and very um, interested in beautiful women. Uh, only, only beautiful women. No uh, no one that they don't think is in some way perfect because that's kind of a dark side of Moon and Libra. But also Moon and Libra could be very um, fair-minded, very uh, loving and emotionally um, uh, fair. But Moon and Libra can also have to do with legal things. It could have to do with law. It could have to do with keeping the law. So there's that. But I think not so much the Moon in Libra as it would be, you know, like a North Node in Libra or a Mars in Libra. So we'll just hang out with that. This person has Saturn conjunct Uranus in Capricorn. Neither one of those things. Well, Saturn is at home in Capricorn, so that's going to be fairly um, controlled. But having Uranus in Capricorn is going to make this person not want to be controlled. They want to be the one in control. But they don't want to be controlled. Is any of this making any sense? Yes. Okay. Then Neptune in Aries. Wow. Neptune in Aries. That's intense because Neptune is the planet of um, imagination and illusion and dream world. And then having it in Aries would be like, maybe this person is in control or leading somehow. I mean, this person could be a priest of some sort uh, because they would be higher up in the world, in that, in that Neptunian, you know, world. And then they have Mars and Mercury, right? Yes. And Sun, all in Cancer. 
with the sun and Mercury conjunct within five degrees of each other in Cancer, and then Mars at three degrees Cancer, which puts it on the cusp of Gemini. So I'm going to imagine that this person is a very good communicator, uh, that they are able to communicate um, things they think are good for you. Um, and be very driven by this. Uh, it could be a healer. It could be a person who heals or uses their psychic abilities. But they have Venus at five degrees Leo, which puts it on the cusp of cancer. So they have some aspects of Leo liking Leo things, you know, gold and, and, and jewels and, uh, very ornate, fancy things. And then they also have that Venus dipping into that cancer. Um, maybe do you have any questions for me? Yes. Um, how would this person dress? Well, that's hard to say because, uh, I don't know for sure what their rising sign is. I am going to go with the Venus and the sun. I think this person likes very nice things, very ornate things. I think that this person could be very materialistic and powerful. So I think they dress very ornately. I think they are very dressed. Like I see like people would be putting rings on this person and dressing them uh, in robes and things, I guess. If this person were in some sort of fight, um, would he get others to do that fight for him or would he uh, be out in the front? Hmm. Well, they have Mars and Cancer. And their Mars is within 10 degrees of their Mercury. And their Mercury is then within 5 degrees of their Sun. They have this Pluto conjunct North Node and Taurus, which could make them very fierce. And they have Jupiter and Taurus. Their Sun is in Cancer. Which could give them a bad temper. But they have this Saturn in Capricorn. I'm going to go with that they would not. I think they would make other people fight for them. It's very hard because I don't know for sure what the rising sign is. Um, what kind of leader would he be? Well... They have moon in Libra, so that's could be very fair-minded, but it could also be very narcissistic. On the dark side, it could be narcissistic. Um, they have Venus in Leo, 
So they like that. They like the Leo things. They like the Taurus things. And they have Neptune and Aries. So illusions around the war things and the things that I want to say that this person has the ability to manipulate things if they want to. That Neptune in Aries is like a magical power to manipulate uh, reality uh, to fit what they need. If they're working with the dark side, then they're going to be very uh, all about me and what I get to have and what I get to control. If they're working with the light side, then it is possible they could be a very nurturing leader. But for some reason, I get the feeling that this person isn't necessarily working with the whole light side. This is sort of an odd question, um, but do you uh, can you tell anything about um, his relationship to light? Like how how would light affect him? Well, he has Venus in Leo, so that's the sun. Are you speaking of like light from the sun? Yeah. Or are you speaking of, like, light side, dark side? No, I'm talking about physical light. Physical light. You know, we, we talk about water. Some people have connections to water. Some people have mm -hmm. connections to fire or earth or things mm -hmm. like that. And uh, mm -hmm. I just uh, got the idea of, is there any sort of uh, connection or any sort of relationship with physical light? Well, he has Venus in Leo, which is ruled by the sun. So if he is a, a good person, a, a, I would assume that he has a good relationship with light. And uh, I, I'm having a very hard time deciphering which direction this person would go. Because this person can go very far light and nurturing, or this person can go very far manipulative and... Uh, like be able to create the illusion of something so that then he can get what he wants. Uh, how would he be at uh, writing and communication? Well, he has moon in Libra, which can give you an, a, an ability for that creativity and that writing. And he has Neptune in Aries. And your Neptune is also your creativity. And having that in Aries, mm, I don't know if that would give him an ability to write. All the Cancer could give him an ability to write. And that Mars at three degrees Cancer right there on the cusp of Gemini could give him an ability to write. Uh, can you get any insight as to what his childhood would look like? 
That's really hard because I don't have, I don't know what the rulers of the houses are. Uh, so he has moon in Libra and that could make his mother very, um, very wonderful and loving, or it could make her a narcissist. Uh, how would he be at uh, hosting a party? I think this person would be really good at any kind of elaborate event. I think that they would have the best food, the best linens, the best entertainment, the best of everything. And would want everyone to know that they had the best. What is his relationship to women? He likes beautiful women, but they have to be beautiful. They have to be exceptional. And monogamy? Well, it's hard to deal with the monogamy part because I don't know what his seventh house cusp is, but... He has Venus in Leo and Moon in Libra and Sun and Mercury and Mars in Cancer. I don't know. I just get the feeling that this guy likes a lot of women and really beautiful women. It's so hard when there's no real time of birth because I have no place to put all these things. I mean... Light side, that Venus and Leo could make him monogamous. You know, the Mars and Cancer could make him monogamous. He could be a nurturing guy. But this Saturn conjunct Uranus and Capricorn and this Neptune and Aries and this North Node conjunct Pluto and Taurus, this guy likes sensual things. He likes to eat the best foods. He likes to go to the best places. He likes to wear the best things. I don't know. Am I making any sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> what is his relationship to religion? I don't know because I don't know what his ninth house cusp is. Um, I can go back and say, well, uh, let me look at the planet. His Jupiter is in Taurus and uh, Sagittarius and Jupiter rule uh, the ninth house. So he could be very, very dogmatic about his religion. Uh, very stubborn, in fact, about his religion and his dogma because of the Taurus. If there was a conflict uh, between... Uh, common people and the elite. Uh, where do you think he would side? Good side? Would I mean, if he's walking the light side, then he would side with the people. But I just... Uh, I, I don't know. I just get the feeling this guy is about the elite. 
Can you get any sense as to what his legacy would be? What is his relationship to legacy? Well, I'm going to look at his Pluto, which is conjunct his North Node, which means that it seems to me that his legacy is his life. It's his direction. He creates his legacy throughout his life. And I think he's very powerful. And I think that his legacy has to do with being a leader, whether he's a leader in like a, a high priest or he's a leader like a king or a, uh, a pharaoh or I don't know. But I mean, I want to say that because he has Pluto conjunct North Node in Taurus, it's probably about material things. Do you have any other uh, impressions that you get off of this chart? Well, I believe that this person could have been a good person. Maybe they're a good king. Uh, the Saturn conjunct Uranus and Capricorn and the Neptune and Aries concerns me. The North Node conjunct Pluto in Taurus concerns me because these are things that would be very tempting for people to attempt their power, try, try their power, you know, and I feel that this person having Jupiter in Taurus conjunct North Node and Pluto by sign, uh, he had power and he had the power to communicate and lead and um, almost like uh, magically uh create an illusion for people to follow him as they're in, like into war or into um conquering things maybe maybe if i know who this is <laughs> hopefully i'll know who it is um i can get more information then and maybe have a better idea of what direction this person would have gone you know mm -hmm. Uh, well, are you ready uh, to find out uh, the uh, or find what we've uh, our findings? Are you ready to to to, <laughs> to go over our findings of this chart? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, so uh, the first thing you said was that he has a direction that is connected to power and that is connected to material things. That this man is powerful and rich and well to do. Uh, he could be very vain, uh, interested in only beautiful women, perfect women. Uh, he could be fair-minded, loving, emotionally fair. Uh, he could be uh, a keeper of the law. Uh, he does not want to be controlled. He wants to control. He could mm -hmm. be a priest. Uh, he could be uh, somehow a priest in control of a dream. Uh, there, mm -hmm. He could be a very good communicator. Uh, he, uh, 
is connected. He determines uh, what is good for other people. Uh, he does things to, uh, for other people in their interest or what he thinks their best interest is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be a healer. Uh, he likes material things, gold and jewels. Uh, he likes ornate things. He is materialistic and powerful. Uh, mm-hmm. He could be wearing many rings and robes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is very fierce. He could have a bad temper. Uh, mm-hmm. He uh, might uh, have others fight for him. He could be fair-minded, but he could mm-hmm. also be narcissistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he likes leadership. Uh, there is illusions around war. Uh, he uh, can manipulate reality uh, magically to his needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be self-centered, but he could also be nurturing as a leader. Uh, it is difficult to discern uh, if he uh, will go in a positive or negative direction. Uh, he is could be a good, effective writer and creative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mother could be loving and nurturing, but could also be narcissistic. Mm-hmm. He uh, would be good at hosting an elaborate event, the best food and entertainment, and wanting all others to know that he has the best food and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he likes exceptionally beautiful, beautiful women. And Mm -hmm. he likes a lot of exceptionally beautiful women. Mm -hmm. Uh, He could be nurturing and devoted as a partner, um, but he very much likes sensual things. Uh, He could be stubborn and dogmatic about religion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, He, uh, in a conflict uh, between uh, commoners and elites, um, he uh, could side with either one, uh, whichever is in his best interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, legacy is his life. He is very powerful and a leader. Uh, he could be a high priest. He could be a king. He could be a pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. His legacy is connected to material things. Mm-hmm. He could be a good person, a, a good ruler, um, but he is going to try his power. Uh, he mm-hmm. had power. Uh, mm-hmm. He could communicate and he could lead magically. Uh, he could mm-hmm. create an illusion to have others follow him to war and to conquer. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I think. And I don't know if I'm anywhere close to what this person is at all. But I know that cancers can really like nice things. And when you have all that cancer and then you also have all that tourist. I can't imagine this person was like walking around in, you know, rags. Mm-hmm. Would you like to know whose chart you've been looking at? Yes. This is the astrological birth chart of Julius Caesar. <gasps> well, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yes. And I mean, even not knowing what his rising sign is, all the other things fit very well, you know? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting, Chandler. I'm very excited to hear about Julius Caesar. 
so uh, Julius Caesar uh, was born uh, Gaius Julius Kaiser on uh, the twelfth uh, of July, uh, one hundred BC, in Rome. Um, his name, we all know him as Julius Caesar, but uh, those are actually just the names of his family. That's like picking someone's middle and last name. Um, uh, the Julian uh, family uh, traced uh, its nobility back to, uh, or at least it said, uh, to Aeneas, uh, the Trojan who came to Italy after the Trojan Wars, uh, his son, um, the uh he was born uh, his father was also named Gaius Julius Caesar uh, his mother was Aurelia um it is uh more than likely that uh even though the procedure bears his name he was not born through cesarean section um <laughs> because at that time they had no way of preserving the mother's life after that and uh, Aurelia did survive childbirth um, but it went into the um, myth of Caesar that uh, he could not be born through normal means. He had to be cut out and brought into this world. Oh, wow. Um, his uh, coming from a somewhat uh, noble family, not necessarily uh, the highest ranking in uh, Roman life. Uh, his father was uh, a governor of Asia. Um, and his sister did uh, very well in uh, marrying uh, uh, Marius. Uh, so um, this is a time, uh, this last century uh, that of the uh, uh, of, of the BCs, um, a time that plagued Rome with lots of civil wars. Um, there uh, was a great push and pull between uh, the common people and the elites. Uh, so uh, the commoners, known as plebeians, um, also known as populares, the elites, known as patricians or the uh, optimares. Um, Marius, uh, who would be Julius Caesar's uncle, um, was sort of this great uh, representative of the populares, of the common people. Uh, this was sort of the uh, political uh, uh, milieu that Caesar grew up in, is that this was the side that he was going to support. Uh, and uh, his father would take him to the Roman Forum and tell him that this is your birthright. As a, as a noble Roman, uh, you will be able to sit in the Senate. This is all yours uh, to inherit. And so he started to learn uh, more and more of how uh, Roman uh, politics worked. Um, he got a crash course in this uh, at the age of 15. Um, so in 85 BC, his father uh, died um, and he uh, then became the head of his household. Wow. Um, this uh, is also the time where um, his uncle Marius um, uh, went into civil war uh, with uh, the Roman general Sulla. Mm. Um, and both of these uh really tore at the foundations of the Roman Republic. Uh, Rome had been a republic for nearly 400 years, um, but throughout these last 100, um, it seemed that the senators could not control uh, the populace, uh, and many times generals had to be called in uh, to restore order. Uh, it's increasingly showed uh, that the uh, Roman Republic uh, was really very weak. Um, Marius and Sulla uh, were two uh, who uh, 
were in this civil war against each other and both um, brought in armies to support them. And both uh, would have political enemies murdered um, when uh, they were in power. Eventually, Sulla uh, got the upper hand, and he became dictator in Rome. Uh, and he uh, decided that he did not uh, need to do all of this dirty work himself. Instead, uh, he would just put out what are called prescriptions, a list of all of the enemies of the state. And if anyone could kill these people, they would then be rewarded. Okay. Uh, one of the men listed in the prescriptions was Julius Caesar, who was just a mere 15 years old. Um, he took to hiding, uh, Caesar did, uh, in uh, the Roman underground. Uh, so hiding amongst the common people. Uh, it is said that during this time he was in uh, the filth and the grime so much that he developed illness. Uh, he got malaria oh and he got all these things. Eventually, uh, his mother's family uh, came uh, to his uh, rescue, as well as the Vestal Virgins, uh, who got hold of Sulla and asked him to take Caesar's name uh, off of the prescriptions. Uh, after uh, successfully convincing Sulla to do so and remove the uh, bounty that was on Julius Caesar's head, Sulla is said to turn to them and said, In Caesar I see the destruction of the Republic. Ooh. Um. Having just survived this uh, great ordeal, uh, Caesar, although he was uh, nominally out of danger, decided that it would probably be best for him to get as far away from Sulla as possible. Uh, he joined the Roman army and uh, served with distinction uh, from 84 to 78 BC uh, in uh, Asia Minor. Uh, he then returned uh, following the death of Sulla, uh, figuring that it was now safe for him to go back to Rome, and uh, began uh, his uh, quest to become a politician. Uh, he uh, decided that uh, in order to be a good politician, it is important to know how to speak very well and to give mm -hmm. great oratory. And he was going to go to Greece, uh, where one of the greatest orators was, and learn directly from him. Uh, while he was uh, journeying to Greece, uh, pirates uh, got boarded his ship and took him hostage. Uh, they held oh a, a ransom uh, for uh, the young twenty-year-old, uh, saying uh, that uh, he would uh, that they would they would hold him up for ransom for twenty talents of silver. Mm -hmm. Caesar was insulted. Uh, he was oh. a, a high-ranking uh, Roman uh, of noble birth. He was worth mm -hmm. at least 50 talents of silver. Oh, no! Uh, and uh, so Caesar's allies went out and got 50 talents of silver, which is nearly equal to a ton of silver, to oh, give my. to the pirates. While they were out uh, gathering up this ransom, uh, Caesar uh, entertained the pirates. Uh, he uh, gave them uh, some of the poetry and uh, gave uh, uh, delivered uh, this poetry and, and prose to them. And uh, when the pirates did not like it, he said uh, that he would have all of them hanged. Oh, okay. Uh, the 50 talents of silver was uh, eventually collected and given to the pirates. Uh, Caesar was then released and he went to the local um, Roman governor and told them where the pirates were and said that it was now his job to go and, and kill the pirates. Yes. And the Roman governor said, I've got a little bit too much on my hands right now. I can't really worry about these pirates. 
Uh, so Caesar did it himself. And so he <laughs> got other Roman soldiers to find the pirates and uh, he had them all crucified. Oh my. Um, but he said that he had such a great time with them that uh, he uh, was going to show them mercy. And so he slit their throats before they were crucified so that they did not have to suffer the death of crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 69 BC, uh, he uh, had returned to Rome and began uh, 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 being elected to positions. So uh, he was first elected as quaestor and uh, was sent to Hispania. Uh, when he got there, uh, there's the story where he saw um, a statue of Alexander the Great. <laughs> and when he saw the statue, he wept um, because he felt that his life had amounted to nothing. And already <laughs> by the time that Alexander was his age, he had conquered most of the known world. And he was yes. almost 30 and and had not done any of that. Yes. Um, two years later, uh, Caesar returned uh, to Rome, and then uh, two years after that, uh, he uh, got the job uh, in Rome as um, the person who throws all of the games, uh, so the person who hosts all of the great games and circuses in Rome. And uh, he decided that he was going to have uh, the best games. And uh, so he borrowed money from anyone and everyone. Uh, This is where he starts his relationship with Crassus, who is the richest man in Rome. And he borrows uh, 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 hundreds, thousands uh, from Crassus to throw the absolute best games possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 63, uh, he decided uh, that he was going to go up for uh, one of the most coveted jobs in Rome, and that was the Pontifex Maximus, uh, the highest priest in Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when he uh, left uh, his mother's home in uh, Rome to go see the election results, uh, he had borrowed so much money and was in so much debt that uh, he said to his mother that I will either return as the Pontifex Maximus or I will be a pauper exiled from Rome forever. Mm-hmm. He was elected the Pontifex mm-hmm. Maximus, uh, and he got a uh, a very cushy home uh, in the middle of the Forum in Rome, and mm-hmm. uh, was in charge of um, figuring out the religious holidays, and uh, was able to uh, even have effects on politics. As uh, if he decided that the gods were unhappy that day, then the Senate could not meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 59 BC, uh, he uh, decided to go up for uh, the uh, the biggest executive job in Rome, and that was to run for consul. Uh, he, uh, being a uh, member of the populares, someone who believed in the common people, uh, not everyone in the Senate uh, believed in that. And the other mm-hmm. faction, believing in uh, the elites, um, they threw up their own candidate, and there were always two consuls being elected. So there was sort of a compromise uh, where uh, Caesar uh, would be uh, the one representing the populares, and Biblius would be the man representing the elites. Um mm-hmm. 
during this uh, election, Caesar uh, began uh, solidifying his connection uh, with uh, Crassus, the richest man in Rome, and Pompey, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, greatest uh, general in Rome. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, uh, friendship or the alliance between Pompey and Crassus and Caesar uh, would forever be known as the first triumvirate. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need any help in figuring out who Pompey is, uh, if you remember the movie Spartacus, um, Laurence Olivier is the one who plays Pompey. Um, mm-hmm. He, uh, remember, if you may remember, he likes uh, both snails and oysters. And uh, <laughs> Tony Curtis wants none of that. Yes. Uh, so uh, he, uh, Caesar, begins uh, this uh, great alliance between Pompey and Crassus, and uh, Caesar uh, develops this uh, great uh, uh, reputation as a reformer. Uh, so uh, he begins uh, trying to enact legislation uh, to redistribute uh, lands among all of the uh, veterans of Roman wars. So all of Pompey's men who had been through all these great battles, uh, Caesar's now working through the Senate to try and get them uh, lands and get them um, uh, better um, uh, 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 better grain and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, a lot of this time, as Caesar's trying to work within the Senate to reform the world, to try and uh, be a, a little bit kinder to the common man, Biblius stands in his way uh, nearly uh, uh, every chance that he gets. Um, uh, at one time, uh, Caesar actually had uh, Biblius arrested uh, for speaking too long uh, during uh, the Senate. Um, at another time, uh, Biblius uh, was interrupting Caesar uh, too many times, and so Caesar had uh, his supporters come in with a bucket full of dung and dropped it oh. right onto Biblius's head. Okay. Um, this is something that I believe we should bring back into the Senate. <laughs> Uh, there, there are uh, many. We need too many. Yes, yes. <laughs> we need lots of buckets. buckets. Lots of buckets. <laughs> um, uh, Biblius also, as a consul, so equal to Caesar, um, had this other religious role uh, where he could also declare if the gods were against um, the uh, the senators meeting that day. And Biblius would just walk outside the house and say that he saw lightning and say the Senate cannot meet today. And he did this for weeks on end, uh, oh. which tied up the Senate and tied up what Caesar was able to do unless Caesar broke the law and called the Senate together anyway, and he uh-huh. did. Uh, so this would later come up as one of the ways that Caesar broke the law. There are other ways that Caesar broke the law which are much more legitimate. Uh, he was taking bribes. Uh, there were um, <laughs> all sorts of other things that Caesar was doing. But one of these uh, was completely unfounded and was just political maneuvering on Biblius's part. Um, and Biblius really stood in the way so many times um, that uh, Roman uh, satirists uh, started to call this the consulship of Julius and Caesar. Uh, that Caesar's really the only consul. Biblius isn't really doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, the tradition after you were consul, um, you could not really be elected again in Rome uh, to f- succeed yourself. You'd have to wait. So after your consulship, uh, it was set aside that uh, uh, ex-consuls would get some sort of cushy job. Um, and uh, 
what they the Senate decided was they wanted to make him in charge of the woods and pastures of Italy, uh, which was really a nothing job and would really just make Caesar uh, a private citizen again, uh, which would uh, make him vulnerable to legal action. Uh, it was uh, the triumvirate of Crassus and Pompey coming together, and they got uh, into the Senate uh, to make Caesar uh, governor of some of the territories. Uh, so uh, Cisalpine and Transalpine Gaul, as well as Illyricum. Uh, so Illyricum is going to be uh, the... Uh, 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 western part of the Balkans, and then Cis uh, and Transalpine Gaul are going to be uh, the parts of northern Italy and southern France. Uh, and instead of having this just be for one year, they made it to where Caesar would be uh, governor of these for five years. Oh. Uh, this uh, really helped everyone. Uh, so Pompey and Crassus, they weren't exactly sure how much they could trust Caesar. And all of Caesar's <laughs> enemies knew that they couldn't trust Caesar. So if they could keep him away from Rome for a while, maybe even get everyone to forget whoever he was, um, mm -hmm. then that would be really great. Um, but as always, Caesar had other ideas. Uh, as soon as Caesar got uh, to Gaul... Um, uh, he saw that uh, Gaul was not united in any uh, sense of the word. Uh, it was all these hundreds of different tribes who were all warring against each other. Uh, and everything north of coastal France was all part of Gaul and not part of Rome. It was just territories out there that there, were no, there was no Roman influence over. Uh, so you have all these competing tribes uh, going up against each other. And uh, one of these is the Helvetii. And the Helvetii were being pushed out of their lands by the Germans, and they trespassed uh, over Roman lands in order to get to their uh, new uh, home. And uh, Caesar was not going to have any of that. Uh, and so uh, the Helvetii uh, quickly learned a lesson that all of the other uh, Gaulish tribes would learn, uh, including the Belgae and the Britons, that Caesar was not a man who was going to be trifled with. Um, also, uh, all of the other tribes inside of Gaul who suddenly uh, found themselves on the wrong end of some uh, very bad uh, other Gaulish tribe were very eager to call Caesar and have him come up and help them. And Caesar <laughs> was very eager to come up and help them as long as he then stayed much, much longer than those tribes ever thought that he would. Um, so uh, this went on for years as he slowly crept Roman influence through all of modern day France and Belgium. Uh, eventually, uh, even the Britons on that island on the other side of the channel, uh, they were uh, th there was one of the tribes there who called on Caesar for help and Caesar crossed the English channel. Um, the English uh, were... Uh, are notorious for having very poor weather, and uh, it ended up uh, crashing many of uh, Caesar's ships uh, and uh, almost left him completely vulnerable to uh, the Britons uh, attacking him and wiping him out right there. But uh, fate did shine on Caesar once again. He was able to get back to Gaul uh, and then uh, launch another invasion the following year into Britain. And it is really hard uh, for us to understand um, 
how this uh, uh, affected the Roman people. Uh, Caesar, uh, during this whole time period, was sending letters uh, to Rome so that they could be read in the Roman Forum so that everyone knew exactly what he was doing and all of the tribes that were now going to come under Rome. Uh, this whole idea of sending Caesar away so that nobody would ever remember him again uh, was completely uh, uh, falling apart. Uh, now mm-hmm. everyone knew who Caesar was because he was getting all of these lands for the glory of Rome. Um, uh-huh. And uh, uh, Brit- to the fact that he went to Britain Britain was the edge of the known world. There were only one or two other people that you may have known who went there. They were part of a trading community, so you might see a few goods that came from there. But no Roman army had ever been there before, and Caesar went there twice. Uh, uh, so uh, it, it it completely uh, made Caesar a, a household name and someone who the common people were very proud of. Um, after his uh, uh, invasion of Britain, uh, he decided that um, it really wasn't worth conquering uh, and that uh, instead he would just have them pay a few taxes. And uh, that was going to be the end of Roman influence in Britain uh, for about a 100 years. Uh, <laughs> but he still did that. Um, he then comes back and there were lots of uh, of these Gauls who had now recently been conquered uh, who were upset uh, that they had been conquered. Um, <laughs> and they all rallied behind a uh, a leader of the bell guy uh, called Vercingetorix and he became the first uh a real um uh, uh challenge to Caesar's authority and in fact outwitted Caesar uh, at the battle of Gregorvia um but that was not going to be repeated again uh, and the uh, Battle of Legia, uh, he would find himself completely outwitted by Caesar. Um, Caesar surrounded the city of Alicia and built a wall uh, about uh, 15 uh, kilometers around the city. Uh, and then, uh, in order to stop all of Vercingetorix's allies from getting into the city or attacking the Romans... Caesar built another wall outside, and then the Romans were in between these two walls. And by Mm -hmm. any uh, stretch of the imagination, this would be horrible tactics, because now you've essentially pinned yourself in. Um, Mm -hmm. But Caesar was able to see uh, the opportunity of uh, being able to tackle uh, these two enemies one by one. the outlines of these walls, if you go over and you fly a, a plane over this area of uh, Belgium, you can see through infrared cameras the outlines of where these walls once were 2,000 years ago. Um, mm. And he was able to completely crush uh, the uh, Vercingetorix and all of his allies. Um, And uh, all of this news still kept pouring in. Um, The letters uh, from Caesar on the Gallic Wars are known as some of the greatest pieces of Latin literature ever written. Uh, So not only is he telling uh, these stories of great uh, um, conquests, he is also telling them very well with very good Ooh. diction and word choice and uh, grammar. Uh, and all of this uh, is really upsetting all of Caesar's enemies who thought that they had the <laughs> upper hand here. Um, Caesar was out in Gaul for around nine, ten years. 
in that time, uh, he uh, had subjugated 300 tribes of Gaul. Uh, he had burned to the ground 800 cities. Uh, when he first went out there, the population of Gaul was around 12 million. Uh, after he left, at least 1 million were killed. Uh, and another one million were enslaved uh, for work inside the Roman Empire. Um, wow. Caesar is single-handedly responsible for doubling the size of Rome. Uh, Rome, uh, it took 400 years uh, for Rome to grow to the size that it was, and Caesar doubled that in less than 10. Wow. Wow. Uh, all of this led to um, the people inside Rome, especially Caesar's enemies, um, not very eager for Caesar to return. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, the downfall of all of Caesar's enemies starts uh, in 53 uh, when uh, Crassus is killed in Africa uh, while on campaign. Um, Pompey and Caesar were connected to each other, um, not only through these alliances, but also uh, Pompey married Caesar's daughter, Julia. Oh. Um, Julia died in childbirth in 53. Oh. And that sort of uh, rift uh, created a rift between Pompey and Caesar. Um, that would later be expedited um, by Caesar's enemies. Uh, so uh, these um, patricians, uh, these elites uh, like Cato and Marcellus and Biblius, uh, started to get into Pompey's ear of uh, this upstart Caesar. You used to be the greatest general. You still are the greatest general. Caesar uh, is nothing. You should be the one who's in charge of everything. Um, Caesar... Uh, decided after 10 years he he had had enough uh time in Gaul and wanted to come back to Rome and he wanted to be consul again uh and he wanted to do that in 48 BC um the people inside Rome who were Caesar's enemies wanted to prosecute him uh, for all the things that he had done as a consul on top of mm. that all of these great triumphs and wars Caesar did illegally um you were supposed to have Cassius Belli you were supposed to have the senate declare war on these different tribes and Caesar didn't do any of that and he went all the way to Britain <laughs> so um the senate wanted to prosecute him for all of that um and uh so they uh, got together and uh, uh, tried to make out this deal with Caesar where uh, they would want Caesar to resign from governorship of Cisalpine and Transalpine Gaul and to give up all of his legions and to become a private citizen again so that he could oh. then be prosecuted. Um, oh, okay. and, and Caesar didn't really care uh, for that deal. <laughs> and uh, the Senate uh, uh, didn't like that Caesar didn't care for that deal. Uh, and so they started to uh, arm Pompey and give Pompey more and more legions uh, to create some sort of army to protect themselves from Caesar. Um, and uh, so a deal uh, was people were trying to negotiate this deal to where both Caesar and Pompey would get rid of their legions. And it kind of became this game of chicken. Like Caesar was like, I'll do it if you do it, Pompey. And Pompey was like, well, I'll do it, but you got to do it first, Caesar. And uh, that ended up with nobody doing it. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, Caesar kind of just parked himself um, up uh, at the uh, northern edge uh, of Italy uh, in Ravinia. 
and uh, just sort of waited to hear word of what was going on in Rome. Uh, and the Senate uh, tried to uh, uh, get rid of Caesar, tried to forcibly move him out uh, of of the governorship. But Caesar um, had allies. Uh, not only did he have all of the Roman people uh, inside of Rome, or many of the common people, uh, he also had allies in the Senate, one of them being Mark Antony, um, who uh, were working uh, to make sure that Caesar uh, was not uh, uh, forcibly removed out of office. Um, the Senate uh, in 49 uh, BC uh, decided uh, that they uh, could not remove Caesar forcibly, so they passed the Senatus Consultum Optimum, uh, which meant that they had no more power. Uh, they essentially uh, got rid of themselves and said that <laughs> we need someone to come in uh, who uh, can restore order, and the only person that we know who can do that is Pompey. So they gave all power to Pompey. Uh, when that happened, uh, Mark Antony and the other uh, Caesar supporters uh, left Rome, uh, joined uh, Caesar in Ravinia, and Caesar uh, then had to decide what his next move was going to be. Um, if he were to cross the river uh, into Italy, if he were to cross the Rubicon, um, he would then be an enemy of the state. Uh, he would then be declaring war on the Roman people. Um, if he were to stay where he was, the Senate had already declared him an enemy of the people, and Pompey would come and kill him. So uh, he took his one legion uh, that was stationed there, and he took them across the Rubicon. And as he crossed the river, he said, Alia yacta est, the die has been cast. Uh, Caesar uh, went uh, straight by Rome, but realized that inside Rome, there was no more Senate. The Senate had all run to be with Pompey, and Pompey was in the south of Italy. Caesar chased Pompey all throughout the Mediterranean, <laughs> uh, uh, throughout Greece. In Greece, he defeated um, most of Pompey's uh, supporters, but Pompey ran away to Egypt. Um, it was there in Egypt that the Egyptians didn't want to have anything to do with this uh, civil war. As Pompey landed on the shores uh, of Italy, he was greeted by some of the king, uh, uh, some of the pharaoh's uh, uh, men. And uh, Pompey and his wife were in a boat uh, approaching the shore. Pompey got out of uh, the boat to greet uh, the king and the king's guards. And the king's guards beheaded him right there. Uh oh uh, Caesar arrived uh, several days later, and the king of Egypt gave uh, uh, him a basket, and inside the basket was Pompey's head and his signet ring. Caesar okay. was appalled, or at least feigned uh, some sort of, oh, well, this is so crass, this isn't, but really he was like, okay, thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we needed this. Um then, immediately following, the king uh, of Egypt uh, wanted Caesar's help um, to defeat uh, his older sister, uh, Cleopatra. Uh-oh. Uh, and so Caesar uh, was hosted in uh, the uh, palace in Alexandria and uh, was there for uh, uh, several days. And then uh, there was a servant who came in uh, to Caesar's quarters, and he was holding above his shoulders uh, this great rug. And uh, the servant then unfurled the rug, and out there was uh, the one of the most beautiful, the most beautiful woman in yep. the world, Cleopatra. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> and uh, Caesar decided that he didn't really like uh, supporting this young little kid anyway. I think he was going to hitch himself uh, to Cleopatra in more <laughs> ways than one. Uh-huh. And uh, they started a, a wild affair uh, and uh, eventually uh, got Cleopatra to be uh, the ruler of Egypt uh, and, and had the other little brother killed. Um, uh, after, uh, this securing of the Egyptian throne, uh, Caesar, uh, went and, uh, uh, fought, uh, with, uh, Pontus in the Middle East. Uh, after one of the battles, uh, the, uh, ultimate battle with Pontus, uh, after he was vanquished, uh, Caesar looked out at the battlefield and said, Winnie, weedy, weeki. I came, I saw, I conquered. Uh, he then uh, wrapped up uh, all that there was of Pompey's enemies and went back to Rome. Uh, once he got back to Rome, he had one of the greatest parades ever given to a Roman general. Um, it was not uncommon for Roman generals to return to the streets of Rome and be given uh, great uh, parties and, and uh, uh, great uh, parades in their honor. But when Caesar went through the streets of Rome. Uh, it was uh, four times that four parades were given mm -hmm. uh, for all of the things that he had done in Gaul and in the yes. Middle East and with Cleopatra and for all of this life that he uh, had lived and everything that he had done uh, for Rome, for the glory of Rome and the Roman mm -hmm. people. Uh, mm -hmm. They uh, declared him to be dictator. Uh, this was a, uh, a a position that was in the Roman. Uh, it was completely legal uh, to no longer have to deal with the Senate or the consul in emergency mm -hmm. times to be made a dictator for one year. Mm -hmm. And as dictator, uh, he went through and started many reforms. Um, he uh, uh, redistributed land and grain to uh, poorer people, uh, land reform, uh, passed laws of religious tolerance for people all over uh, uh, this now Roman Empire. Um, for several years, his troops had called him imperator, um, emperor, um, but that was sort of a title within the army. Um, it is at this time that the Roman people start to call him Imperator or Emperor. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, and this uh, started to get very scary for uh, those uh, uh, more conservative-minded people, those elites uh, who had the stranglehold of the Roman Republic. Uh, it was more of an oligarchy than it was a republic. There were these eight or nine families, and they all just traded the consulship amongst each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, Caesar uh, was now disrupting all of that. And uh, what might be worse is that he might start to think of himself as king. And the mm -hmm. Romans had a great disdain for kings. They had had seven kings, and that mm -hmm. was over 400 years ago, and they had killed the last one and had mm -hmm. a republic from then on. But Caesar was now acting like maybe he didn't need a Senate anymore because the Senate was too corrupt in his mind. And right. uh, so he uh, uh, was now imperator. Did that mean that he was also king? There is this great story of Mark Antony, who uh, in one of the great games uh, ran uh, through uh, the streets of Rome and uh, tried to offer this crown 
to uh, Caesar. And three times Caesar refused the crown. That is uh, in Mark Antony's speech in, in the Shakespeare play. Um, Caesar didn't really want to be king, but he liked having all of these things given to him that a king normally would. Mm-hmm. Um he saw how Cleopatra uh, led in Egypt, and he liked that. He liked that <laughs> these uh, these monarchs did not have to go through the Senate, uh, who uh, would often get in the way with their petty politics and <laughs> often not get anything done. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, decided, though, that he wanted to try and preserve this system as much as he could, saying that in a year or two, we will get new consuls to come in, and I will no longer be this uh, supreme leader. When he tried to do that, the people uh, uh, were upset, and they said, no, no, we can't. We, need, we must have Caesar. And mm-hmm. they made him imperator. They made him dictator for life. That happened wow. in February of 44 B.C., uh, once that happened, uh, this uh, amplified the calls within Caesar's enemies that something mm-hmm. must be done soon. Um, and uh, some of Caesar's greatest allies and friends, such as Brutus, uh, got together and uh, they decided that Caesar must be killed. Um, yeah. On the 15th of March uh, in the year 44 BC, um, he uh, was taken out Uh, to what uh, the Senate building had been burned uh, uh, to the ground uh, a few years before. So the Senate was now meeting in a theater that was constructed with Pompey's money. Uh, So this was Pompey's theater. And uh, the uh, uh, conspiracy of 23 senators met Caesar at this uh, theater. And uh, once they rounded a corner, uh, one senator stabbed Caesar in the neck. Caesar turned Mm -hmm. around and another senator stabbed him in the side. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the 23 uh, stabbed uh, so violently and without uh, uh, even knowing what they're doing, they started stabbing themselves, too. Oh, my. Uh, oh my. And uh, Caesar, all he could do was take uh, the hood of his toga and put it over his face so that they would not get the delight of seeing the face of this dying man. Hmm. Uh, the conspirators, uh, once Caesar lay died, dead on the floor, uh, went out uh, through the city of Rome saying, Rome is now free. Rome is now free. And the Roman people did not understand what they were talking about because right. Caesar had brought the freedom. Right. Uh, this uh, uh, Caesar uh, was so uh, beloved by the people that uh, for the rest of time, for the rest of the Roman uh, Empire, there would no longer be consuls. The Republic was finished. Uh, they would have a Senate, but it really was just an advisory council. Eventually, uh, Caligula would appoint his horse to be one of the senators. Okay. Um, uh, uh, the the Rome would now be ruled by an emperor, that name first given to Caesar. In fact, the Roman leaders would be called Caesar from then on, and uh-huh. it would go on beyond Rome, uh, Germany and uh, Russia, uh, all uh, having their names Caesar, Kaiser, uh, uh, Tsar, all coming mm-hmm. from Caesar. Um, uh, uh, and of course... We would have to uh, mention uh, that Caesar's probably most lasting legacy uh, was the Julian calendar. Uh, I Mm -hmm. said when we started this that uh, he (laughs) was born in July. Well, actually, the month of July was named for him. 
Um, Caesar saw how the Egyptians trusted their astronomers to develop their calendar that had 365 days. Uh, uh, the Roman calendar did not. It was run off of a lunar calendar. Uh, so they had 10 months, and then they kind of had these extra days in the calendar. And uh, a lot of times that would happen towards the end of the year, and they would just have a big old party uh, until <laughs> uh, the next month started, uh, which sounds like a pretty uh, uh, Roman and Italian way of, of uh, making things fit. <laughs> uh, w- w- when the days don't fit, well, we'll just add some more wine and uh, women and dormice in there, and then we'll have uh, we'll start the year over once we're done with that. Uh, but Caesar uh, saw this and said, no, we really should. We, we can still party all we want, but we should really figure out uh, this whole calendar thing. And uh, so created two new months, uh, what would later go on to be called July and August, um, uh-huh. and uh, created the 365-day calendar with um, – and there's only been one uh, sort of modification to that, uh, which uh, happened much later on, which gives us the Gregorian calendar that we use today. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, all of the months uh, have their names and have their placement because of Julius Caesar. Um, Caesar is uh, uh, probably the most important Roman that ever lived. Um, He uh, defines what that culture was. Uh, He, uh, by his ambition and his conquest, made sure that uh, France and Belgium and England and all these places would uh, be uh, romantic, literally, meaning Roman influence, uh, that they Mm -hmm. had Latin-based languages um, and uh, secured Uh, the legacy of Rome and made sure that um, it would no longer have to deal with the conflicts uh, that come from a democracy. Um, Democracies uh, are a a wonderful way of of making sure that everyone's voice is heard as long as that's actually happening. Um, Right. Too often, uh, democracies yeah. have uh, too many special interests or too, or the people who just don't want to give up power or people who don't want to listen to each other so that they can actually get things done. Um, because right. of what Caesar did to the Roman Republic, uh, democracies and republics would not be a common form of government uh, for nearly 1,800 years. Um, all people uh, in the Western world really turning towards emperors and princes and kings, one person to call all the shots. Uh, That way they wouldn't have to be mired in the difficulties of democracy. That is part of Caesar's legacy. Um, Mm. A a truly uh, remarkable man uh, who definitely um, uh, put his stamp on uh, the the sands of time. Uh, And I think that this chart uh, bears out a lot of what he did. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things you said was that uh, he could be a priest, he could be a king, he could be right. a pharaoh, and he yeah. was all three. <laughs> um, uh, a, a truly uh, remarkable man, and uh, yes, I think that uh, a lot of the things uh, were borne out um, by the stars on, on the day that he was born. Well, that is amazing. And as I've been listening to all of this wonderful information about Julius Caesar, I noticed that the North Node at three degrees Taurus and Pluto at one degrees Taurus is within five degrees of Aries, you know? Mm -hmm. So he was on the cusp of Aries the whole time, 
meaning he had that ability to be um, stable and keep moving forward like a tourist does. But he also has that Aries warrior ability, you know, to create this legacy um, and and have it be, you know, his in a way, his legacy is his death. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, I know that he had already created the legacy, but the way that he died was really, really bad. And so Pluto is death and rebirth, right? And it's also power. So it is possible that that the way he died really solidified his legacy. Mm -hmm. And then as you were speaking about his history, and I said he has Saturn in Capricorn, which is control, but this Uranus in Capricorn is out of control. Mm -hmm. So... There were times where out of the blue, he was being controlled in crazy ways Mm -hmm. by the pirates or whatever, you know, and he had to get that control back over that Uranus, you know? Yeah. But I mean, clearly his moon in Libra was not so much narcissistic. It was more fair minded and government, you know, it could be both. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was described as a very vain man. Uh, he <laughs> uh, would, uh, w- once he had won these battles, he only wore uh, purple uh, tunics and togas that had embroidered gold all over them. Uh, he was uh, extremely conscious of his uh, balding. And uh, so he wore um, these laurels above his head to try and uh, cover up the fact that uh, he was losing <laughs> his hair. Uh, oh, it no. was said that uh, he hated his body hair. So uh, he went through and had people uh, pluck them one by one off of his oh, chest. Oh, my. Um, uh, to make sure that it, he was immaculate. Um, so <laughs> I, I think that, you know, there were a lot of times where it was uh, he could be vain or he could be nurturing. He was both. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it all depended on on what day and, and what he was talking about. Wow. OK. Yeah. And all of this, the sun and Mercury and Mars in Cancer is very nurturing, you know, and Venus and Leo could be a very good leader, you know, and the people did love him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I do think that he had some interesting ways that he went about what he did, you know, mm-hmm. which was kind of magical. Uh, and, um, you know, creating the illusion um, you didn't get into the whole Mark Anthony Cleopatra thing, but okay, I'm guessing that's coming at another well, time when uh, I won't. I know. mean, Caesar's dead, so uh, the, there's uh, that's all stuff that happened after he died. Okay, and uh, all right, uh, so yeah, I think that if we had any idea what time he was born, that would be very interesting, but um, I think that. Even with everything we had to go through to get here, which <laughs> was significant, I think we did pretty well. What do you think, Chandler? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, uh, w- once we uh, figured out the, the mechanics uh, through through our bat computer of how to uh, enter the data in uh, to where it would understand what we wanted, uh, yes, it has it uh, spat out a, a pretty uh, accurate chart. Um, the, the closest that we can get, at least, uh, 
with, with our uh, knowledge. Yep, that's pretty good. And you did a wonderful, wonderful, a huge amount of research, Chandler, and it's really, really wonderful, including all of the Latin pronounced correctly. Uh, well, yes. Uh, and uh, if it's not, then uh, you'll have to take it up with uh, uh, people who died 2,000 years ago. Um <laughs> So uh, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, this is pretty close to uh, right on the money. Yeah, I think so. Uh, well, uh, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to uh, thank you all so much for listening. And uh, if uh, you would like to uh, reach out and support the show, um, we have links to our social media and to our email posted in the show description. Uh, we would uh, love to hear from you. Uh, we have uh, already gotten uh, some um, suggestions uh, for possible uh, episodes, and uh, those will be uh, inputted into uh, the schedule very shortly and uh, also uh, other people reaching out and saying hi and giving us words of encouragement all that uh, helps us along in this uh, journey uh, and if you would like to uh help us uh, 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 monetarily. We uh, have a link uh, to our PayPal account and uh, every little bit, every donation helps us in uh, creating a better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, and if you would like to be your very own Mystery History guest, uh, we can make that happen for you. Uh, we have a link posted to um, the email address chandlersmom at historyandretrograde.com and uh, email that and and mom will get with you and talk with you about <laughs> uh, how we can uh, make that uh, a consultation happen. Uh, mom, <laughs> is there uh, anything else you'd like to add? I just want to do a shout out to Jordan and Tynan for doing such a wonderful job this weekend at the Alamo and say, hi, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. And I also want to let you know that I am currently taking um, appointments to do uh, charts for the end of November, the beginning of December. And if anybody is interested in giving a session as a gift for the holidays, uh, you can let Chandler or I know, whichever one of us you like. And I'm having a wonderful time doing everybody's chart. And um, I'm just really, really excited that you guys are listening. Uh, yes, it, it is uh, very nice to uh, have uh, support uh, from uh, people that we know and uh, people that we don't know from uh, all over uh, the world. Uh, so uh, thank you all uh, so much for listening. And uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for being there. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.